0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. All right, downers, welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. So, my guest today is Dave Raymond. He's from a band called Hidden Hospitals. And the way I got hooked up with talking to him was by recommendation. I get this all the time when people say, Oh my gosh, I like your show. I got this buddy you need to talk to, or I got to know this guy that works at NASA or does this. And I get hooked up with a lot of cool guests. I don't have the NASA guy yet, but. Maybe I will soon, but people, you know, a lot of times people just say there's a like-minded person or somebody that reminds me of you when they talk or things like this, but this guy, Dave Raymond, was recommended to me by John Fraser. John Fraser, I was working with on the May episode of the Labeled podcast. John Fraser was the marketing guy who... Uh, was at Tooth and Nail and signed to May. And now he has a record label called Spartan Records where he releases a ton of cool vinyl, and does a bunch of good stuff, and Hidden Hospitals is on the label that John Frazier owns. So I'm say thank you to John Frazier for hooking me up with Dave because I really enjoyed this chat. And uh, he, like I said, John was on the episode of the Labeled podcast with uh, Dave from May. So, uh, And if you guys haven't checked it out, I don't always remember to mention it, but I do a podcast called Labeled for Tooth & Nail Records, and uh, I really enjoy doing that one. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, please go download, rate, subscribe, tell people about Labeled because I'm pretty excited about what's going on over there. So anyway, that's the backstory, And then I'm sure my... Show description here tells you what we're going to talk about, but the music business, alternative ways of looking at it, alternative ways of thinking about it. Not just music, but art, entertainment, all those kinds of things. I think you'll find this conversation fascinating. Okay, so I'm on the road right now with Emory. We're, you know, practicing this week and uh, fixing our bus and heading down the west coast so there's still tickets available for that if you go to emorymusic.com uh come see us we're gonna have a really really good show we're with the band 68 so i think it will be tremendous all right let's get right to this episode here we go Break break it down oh break it down break it down oh break it down break Dave, thank you for coming on the show. I am particularly, um, you know, you, you rented a little studio because you said the train is so loud by your house. And, uh, and so now you're in a paid studio just to capture this podcast. Your video looks great. You've got a good microphone. You're sending me your end of the local recording. And I do... I'm tempted to say I wish every future guest would do the same, but I don't like the idea of them having to spend money out of their pocket. I didn't know you did that. But thank you for for doing such a good job already before you even open your mouth at being a guest on a podcast.
1: Welcome, man. That's the least I could do. I've been looking forward to this. And, yeah, we live right on one of the elevated trains in Chicago. It's right outside of our window. Yeah. So dead silent to just rocket ship loud. But, you know, it makes for a... It makes for quite a lot of noise.
0: Are you uh, connected to or come out of the Chicago music scene? I don't know a ton about it, but when I think about the Chicago music scene, I'm thinking about what comes in my head is like more recently, I guess some Victory type stuff. But really, I think about like Promise Ring, and you know, I've been I've been going back through Promise Ring and Captain Jazz and Maritime and some of that uh, Owen, and that's all kind of Chicago stuff. Is that you have any connection to that world?
1: Yeah, I do. Historically, yes. And, um, Owen, like my, my partner, Rachel introduced me to Owen. Actually, I was a big fan of American football.
0: Oh, American football. We, right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. We ended up here with, uh, my last band. We're actually from New York and we moved out here to Chicago because, you know, it's like touring all over the United States is a task in and of itself, but Chicago had always been really, really good to us uh-huh. as people, as musicians. And we just, I, I came here to play with a drummer and it was just kind of like, well, why wouldn't we move to Chicago? We've been here ever since. That was like 2009, I think. 2009, 10 is when I got here.
0: That's great. And you're surviving and thriving, and you're living in what I can tell is the urban scope because the train is going by, and you've <laughs> got a creative project going. I don't know if it's your full-time and what else other else you do, but I admire that whole setup in the first place. I, I'm really big on people moving to places and exercising their mobility because I find it to be one of the most... It's weird. I've been thinking about a lot lately because Reva here's moving, and uh, you know. But you know, I know a lot of people that I've always that that talk about they want to move or pursue something, and then they don't do it, and it it just always makes me feel not just always gives me a really bad feeling because it comes out of some amount of conservatism. Like, well, it'd be safer not to try, or I do have a good thing here. There could be some downsides, and you just ignore the opportunity and the mobility that we have, which is a modern it's just a marvel that like you can try something crazy and you're, you're not going to go homeless or broke and worst, worst case scenario is you come home, you know? And so true. it seems like you've gone and done something and figured it out. And your band hidden hospital, hidden hospital seems like it's going somewhere. You're hooked up with John Frazier on Spartan and John Frazier is a good friend of mine. Um, or a friend of mine, I, I don't like, you had to do that thing where you over, you know, oh, I'm best buddies with him, but I love John Frazier. He, he was our A&R at Tooth and Nail for, uh, no, he wasn't our A&R. He did the marketing for the Emory stuff and really played a, a big part in our career. So I think his taste in music and stuff he's done, uh, I think May is a big thing. Did you hear that I've been doing a couple labeled episodes about May?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we listen to him. it's Yeah, it's, yeah John is fantastic on, across all channels, like, Hard worker, great taste, awesome Mm -hmm. heart. He's chasing exactly what he feels like is relevant and useful to his life, and I think that we resonate on that well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was talking to him when I was working on those May episodes for Labeled, um, and he got me into what you were doing and told me about it and said you and I have a great conversation. I was like, absolutely, man. I take recommendations for him seriously because I think he's a sharp dude. So Spartan Records, is the they're putting out your new vinyl. But you tell me about it. You independently recorded and to release it.
1: Yep, we recorded uh, thirteen songs Mm -hmm. for a ten-song album um, a little under a year ago in Nashville with Jay Hall, and you know it's a long process of prepping it, packaging it, getting it ready to kind of say hello world. Mm -hmm. Um, And John and I talked prior to that about our last record, Surface Tension, and it was around when he was getting ramped up with Spartan and everything. And we released that independently. This one comes around to talk to John again. And it was just Washington. Why, why wouldn't we do this? Mm-hmm. And it's been, um, it's, it's just been a good relationship. It's often like talking I feel like it's often I'm talking to myself when he and I talk back and forth.
0: Yeah, well, you know, They're similar minds. He's really good with some aesthetic stuff, and his vinyl is beautiful, man. Like, you know, every oh, time goodness. you go to make yeah. vinyl, like, well, what are the color choices? And I try to pick a cool one, but everything that that comes through him is like, oh, well, you, how'd you get the really cool vinyl? But he always does. No, for
1: real. Yeah, he 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 repressed Surface Tension, which was like I said, our first album, and he he did the pressing with these. Um, it's a pair. Called Wax Mage, they're in Ohio, and they do these like very limited. Every single record, like every single piece of wax, is different than the last one. Yeah. So it it was just amazing. I'm like, you know, you do these like kind. This is what it's going to look like. This is what you're ordering. You kind of get it stuck in your head. You're like, all right, that's what it is. And they shipped it out, and he's sending me pictures. He's like, he's like, dude, just one more. I'm just going to send one more. It's like I lied. Here's another one. Yeah. We're just flipping over it.
0: I mean, that's the the time we're in. Is man, you can do stuff that. Matt, I don't know, It's, it's. you can tell when people are doing things that they care about, and that they're special and exclusive and meaningful, and that clearly is to John. So I, I enjoy just being around it and thinking about it and being inspired by other people caring about details. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. So um, what I'm kind of interested to talk to you about is, uh, is to somebody who's doing well and has come up at a later time than me in the music business, I like to check back in from time to time and just... Get reflections and try to learn from people that are outside of my bubble. So tell me, let's talk about the state of the, of the music industry and things you're noticing. And it, you, I mean, you you're somewhat familiar with this show and the work I do. And so, mm-hmm. what are the things that you uh, are noticing out there that are either stuff that I talk about or or stuff that I'm getting wrong or not noticing or don't
1: or ha- or you have a different point of view on about the music industry? I think that's the that's the interesting way to frame it because i don't think there is a way to get it wrong i don't think there's a way to get it right and that's mm-hmm. that's the duality of things right now that i feel my obje- objective lens on where we are with music you know it's like being an independent musician being an artist across the board like if you're you know if you make t-shirts if you're a painter if you're a piano player if you're a performance artist right mm-hmm. it's just kind of like there's not um there's no aspirational trajectory that's Like there's no levels right now. There's no, I'll start the band in our garage and then we do the demos and we shop the demos around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's uh, I think that's empowering as it is kind of like exhausting because it's, it's like, man, the whole ocean is ours. But at the same time, it's like, how do you kick off of a wall and get, you know momentum if mm-hmm. there's nothing to kick from or towards
0: yeah that that makes sense so yeah I, i'm trying to come up because people ask me all the time they have new bands and they they've got and they're good or they have great music and they're like how does a band make it today and i i i say well i don't think you can that's that's kind of my advice like well you can't like yes I'm successful at music but I was lucky to be doing what you were trying to do now at a time when it was possible and now it's completely impossible don't try that's what I th- that's what I think I would advise people um and I know that's being facetious but you're really succeeding here and and you know like you're up and coming you're living this you've had a band for a while and it's continuing to to move and move forward so uh, I'm interested and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. How does it work now? What does it feel like?
1: <laughs> well, there's absolutely like a point in time, like when you guys are touring a ton was when I was starting a band and there was just this like this circuit of bands, right? Mm-hmm. Like these circuit of bands and it was cool. People would lift each other up. Mm-hmm. You'd go out and you'd support the headliners as, you know, as a developing act. And then a year, 18 months later, you can start doing your own headlining tours, right? Like right. going around the country. And it, a lot of that's changed. It isn't, you know, it's like you find like, if you can find a new and contemporary headlining act, it's often no local acts on the, on the stage. Right. Or it's like, you know, we're not taking out anybody. We're taking out this other good, um, monetarily feasible project with us. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. that benefits us in some way, but yeah, it's, I don't think it's necessarily like, don't try. I just think it's like, you know, like we're going to touch on nostalgia, Right. It's not trying to replicate something that once worked because what you had and that that I, I'll call it like the golden time of touring. Like even before I started touring, mm-hmm. before I was even in a band, it just I was enamored with like bands being able to just tour. Yeah, I was like, how do they do that? Like, how do they book the shows? How do they know where to go? How do they know the people? And yeah. I just got, I was very romantically drawn to that.
0: It's such a romantic. It's one of the most. I don't want to say it's over-romanticized because it is amazing it's very cool but it is one of those things where people that don't have any clue about it think it's the greatest thing possible and there's so many people that want to do it and you know and and it it really has been the golden age because before that the only bands that could tour these giant national acts and that or whatever like super well known and then starting around you know the 90s through the 2000s it really the scene invented itself and supported itself and maintained itself, you know, from just just sheer ability to communicate and the emergence of the Internet. But then I think it just got flooded so much now. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of what killed it. It's just the pure volume of the amount of people that romanticized being in a band and touring actually killed the thing in itself is what it feels like.
1: Well, yeah, saturation for sure. That's absolutely the, you know, that's part of it, I think. And you're right, like I I it's often take this for granted, but like when I started a band, it was MapQuest, right? Like yeah. it was but we didn't have mm-hmm. the internet or like occasionally somebody would have a sidekick mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, you can instant message with that thing? You can talk to people over on this place. But I think really what it is and the way that I try to look at it now is like what's interesting, right? So you have a captivating rock band that's just has this very commanding and professional aesthetic that just demands your attention and you get 45 minutes to to experience that when every other thing that's booked all week long in the 25 venues around town are just shades different of that same thing mm-hmm. it becomes a, a lot less intrinsically special mm-hmm. and to me engaging right alluring it's kind of like well I won't go and see Emery this time around because you know I know they're coming back and there's 95 other rock shows going on that i can go and get my fix at Mm -hmm. and that has nothing to do with like the actual artists themselves it's just kind of like oh you know it's like the ocean it's like the netflix it's like what do i watch you know those stories of yeah i i can surf around until i find something now i'm exhausted searching for something that's right consume that's how i
0: feel like i'm not trying to find new music because that sounds fucking exhausting don't want it don't send it to me you know i mean like maybe i'll take a strong recommendation for somebody or if i'm out somewhere and i hear some good music i'll say what is this and I'll, i'll mark it but good gosh i mean Surfing through Spotify and taking the time and thinking about it, or reading—I I mean, just don't have that desire anymore. And it's too much of it, and too much of it's coming at you in this marketed way. And the scene used to like tell you who to check out. Yeah. It used yeah, to be yeah, kind of—and yeah. you're right, there was a pathway. It was like, well, you make a demo. If it's not good enough, you get a better one. Eventually, you can get a label's attention. Once you get, you know, there was something that seemed like a pathway, and now it's—you know—you can invent your own career, and people are doing it, but there there's not a way to do it. It's just some percentage of people will get through the wall and it's very, very low.
1: True. And I have, I have a lens on this. Like I came in my, my first band, we'd signed an equal vision done like the three record deal. And you'd see like, and that was right as I feel like right at the end of that, that mm-hmm. era, that age of when it was like, this works, we have a place to put developing acts behind the, the two tiered support acts mm-hmm. and then the uh, headliner. And this develops. And you know as well as I do, like touring is just a one-to-one thing. Like it's like we don't have money. We play the show. We have money, and you do that three hundred times in a row, and it, it, you know, it. Now we've got something tangible. Mm-hmm. Where it's like now it's by my record. It's like why I can get it here for free, and it, so that's not that's not a way to do it. So how do you make money? All right, we'll remove money. Do you love making art? Right. Yeah, I love making art. Yeah, cool. We'll make art and just figure out, like you say, like. Just, you know, don't die. <laughs> yeah. Don't just give up and die. Like, you know, if you want to make art, make art. If you want to go to school, go to school. If you want to read a mm-hmm. book, read a book.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the where I land with the advice is, I mean, it, people interpret it as, well, you tell people not to do it, and if they can't not do it, they'll do it anyway. And that's a, that's a reasonable filter. But I think what you're hitting on there is even more important, which is – Don't worry about the if you can make money part. And it's the same with podcasting. I was like, don't ask me how to get ads on your podcast. I don't, that is not a good question. That is not a good question. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, that's not why you should ever do it. If that is your question, do not do it. Do not try. It has to be. I think the more we untether the notion of, oh, you'll be famous or, oh, you'll get stage time or whatever, that those things aren't really art or make money. Those aren't really related to art. They might they're be not. outcomes, but they're not, they're not really related to art fundamentally. Any art, you know, you don't want art that's created for mainly primarily a commercial purpose, do you?
1: Well, no, because like, then that's not what you want to consume. It's a job. It's kind of like, it's like sweep this floor mm-hmm. for me and I will pay you. Right. I mean, you you know, it just kind of becomes but you know, that's also like the the interesting aspect of it is like, what's the elevator speech, the elevator pitch? the very concise two sentences that when someone asks you that wrong question, how do I get, how do I get ads on my podcast? How do I make money being a musician? Yeah. Like how can a, they're, you know, they're in a, they're, they're coming from a place of like thinking like, well, okay, I've seen, I've seen you on tour. You must make a ton of money. This Mm -hmm. must be like how you sustain. And it's kind of like, that's not their fault to think that way because that's the, that's the veil that we live behind, right? right? It's yeah. Like you see a band on tour, it's like that in my head, I'm like that's what they do 25 hours a day, 365 days a year, and that's their life.
0: yeah I mean i I do make money from podcast ads, a whole living from that and touring and selling music. I do, but I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't mean to exactly I didn't I mean I didn't even I never thought I would. At at any point until I did, I didn't think it was really gonna. I had no expectation of it, but is and that sound I'm not that much of a purist, even in an art sense. I just, just was driven to try to do it, but each moment was rewarding enough in itself to me. It's just a process thing, so even though I don't count myself as a, 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 just an artist that's here to just express myself purely. I'm just doing what seems exciting, not what w- might be good. I, it's not really based on a future goal. Like the goal is play music today, record this album, listen to this album, get, get a show, you know, make a podcast, have a conversation. And then those things add up over time and sometimes become monetizable and sometimes don't. But who cares? Like then it would be a hobby. I'd have another yeah. job, but I'd probably still podcast and make music or uh, sure. whatever. So if I, yeah, but my mentality overall and being super lucky has just, you know, I've increased my odds of making money from having that mentality and that's the best I can do. And it may all go away tomorrow. There's not a way to do it, but if you enjoy everything about your
1: process and care about your art, then you're all set. You got nothing to worry about. And it's mostly true. I just, I, it's, there is isn't. It's not my job to educate somebody on the the struggle that it is to be an artist. I yeah. hate that
0: I, I hate, hate that, that term.
1: Too. It's the worst. It's like were well, you trying to know, guilt
0: people because you deserve to be an artist yeah, and they yeah, must not, support you or something? Yeah, it
1: It isn't like that. And nobody needs to listen to my art. No one needs to listen to my band, my music. Like that's nobody's responsibility. It's and, you know, my responsibility is to feel like the you know, if I choose to make art that it's basically getting made to the point that I'm like, this is the story I want to tell. And then the, the rub comes into like, now, how do I share this in a contemporary and modern landscape? Mm -hmm. Like podcasting, right? Podcasting wasn't around when you started touring. And, you know, like on the, the scene of live music, it's like, well, is playing live in a 50 year old bar with a 50 year old PA, you know, getting people through the door on drink specials is that the most modern and exciting way to show people new music probably not that's a probably really, not and really that's the conversation question. that like i you know as as creatives it's damning in a way where it is a musician that's still that trajectory but it's a it it isn't it's not really there you can you can tour nationally you can tour all over the earth and just play bars and like stuff like that but there's there isn't you know, we're not connected there, right? Mm-hmm. Like the back the back of a bar where the tiny little stage is isn't necessarily connected to somebody's very personalized, hyper-curated social life, right?
2: Time is running on. As you die, die, die in this bed Not making a What's up, guys? This is Devin from Emory, I am excited because we are headed back out to the West Coast this summer, June 1st through the 9th, and we're going to be with an awesome band called Sixty (laughs) Eight. We will also have special guests Trove and Bell. We'll be in Seattle on June 1st, Portland on June 3rd, Sacramento June 5th, San Diego on June 6th, Pomona June 7th, Scottsdale June 8th, and El Paso on June 9th. General admission tickets are $20 and VIP are $35, and there's only a limited amount available. Get a photo with the band, a meet and greet, and a short acoustic set before the show. Get your tickets right now at emorymusic.com.
0: You bring up something very interesting to explore, so let's explore that. But I'm unclear on what you're saying is good or bad about the the live music and the connectedness is are you saying we should the live stuff is disconnected it should be more online connected because a lot of people feel like the live music's the pure thing left instead of this digital bullshit
1: yeah it's just that that's the 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 thing is is like if you strip away music strip away the art the the tangible parts of it still are are intact the experiential the shared experience right Mm -hmm. the memories the chance encounters of like the person that you met behind the merch booth You struck struck up a conversation with so and so while you were loading in. Didn't know it. Twenty years later, they're they're still your best friend, and you talk every day, right? Uh All of those chance encounters. It's just that, like, you know, we are saturated with the the way that it gets introduced. The come to my shows, come to see my band, come and check out my record, come consume more of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's just white noise because it's coming from all angles all the time, yeah, and that really sours the outcome which is going to see somebody live in a venue because you've kind of gone through this gauntlet of like whether it's tiered marketing where it hits you enough times and then you're kind of just like all right i'm falling over the fence i'm buying a ticket and i'm you know now I got. is that the way
0: the fans feel when i send them facebook ads
1: like i beat them up to come into the show no i don't think so if they're if they love you and they love Mm -hmm. what you're doing they're gonna come anyway Mm -hmm. it's just that also they're at the same time, they're getting beaten to death by a yeah. zillion other bands, that's true. and a zillion other artists who, who don't, who may not be empathetic to, you know, even, even their own experience online. Yeah, like, so that's, that's a, uh, that's the rub. Well, it's me.
0: it's real weird because live music, it doesn't change very much. Like uh, the technology and the the situation culturally has changed entirely, but you're right. A lot of the bars and stuff are just they haven't changed or updated in any way, and maybe they should or maybe they shouldn't. I guess that's its own question. Like, is it good that that's an anchor and a staple? Like, a bar show is still a bar show like it always has, and it literally could be run on 50-year-old technology. It can be. True. And and so is that a good – you see that as a good thing or a bad thing?
1: I don't necessarily think that it's the bar or the, the stage or the club. I'm not looking – I don't think the Solve is, like, this newfangled, like, technology this new way to experience a show 3d like we're wearing glasses and you you know right, like right. old factories and like yeah, none of that yeah, right because yeah, yeah. that that really does it tears it, it kind of tears it down and it's, it's a different thing that can be fine but that's a different thing to me but, i think it's really just about twisting the lens instead of it's like check out my band check out this show it's nine bucks at the door it's seven bucks at, like in drink specials and all that stuff we just twist the language and make it more about not the thing that we're consuming, but about the shared experience, which Mm -hmm. is being in a room together Mm -hmm. is listening to a band that we love is having the conversations is getting out off of the comforts of your frigging couch and binge watching Netflix and surfing through your social feed, you know, keeping yourself from being bored. It's to me, those are the, like all of those reasons are the reasons that I love music and, and I love touring is like, if I wasn't ever around for any of those chance encounters, I wouldn't, it, you yeah. know, I wouldn't have the memories that I do today.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's I the, the, there's the fundamental thing about live music that's so powerful to me has always been. I'm an audio person. Like I, am not super visually good. I, I, don't record visual data super well, and I listen to music, and that's why one of the reasons I like music and audio and podcasts and talking. Um, and so when I see live music there are at least the visual cues that help me hear and understand the music itself better and deeper you know like if i see a drum fill sure. like oh, holy shit i wouldn't maybe wouldn't have noticed that now i do like you get all these cues to it and it works yeah. together like smell and taste do basically you know it's like exactly. getting having, having your nose plugged listening to to a, eating a meal is like listening to a record when there is a tangible visual component to it like what how hard is he playing the guitar? What does facial expression say when he when he really crashes that symbol? Like there's information there that adds to your experience. And so that is what's so cool about live music, um for one thing. And then the other thing is that I've been kind of thinking a lot about and we've been talking about here a lot, is we go out and we do these shows, and some of the shows it's like, the crowd will get there at like 4.30 or 5, and they'll stand there and they'll wait. And then we'll go in, and then we'll have a bunch of local bands. So this kind of crosses over with you talking about local bands. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we don't design it well, there'll just be some crappy local bands. No offense to any of them that have ever played with us, but... It can be that way. And it's the, our fans have to stand around and wait through that and wait through that yeah. and yeah. do this and do that. And then we finally play later than we want to play because <laughs> we're tired and everybody's yep. been there that long and it's the, it sounds okay. And nope, there's been, you know, it's just poorly, not poorly run, but it's just, it feels like, Cattle in a farm sometimes instead of some, it's like, shouldn't we be des- designing the experience for the user the same way we do on the yeah. internet? So that's kind of yeah. what I'm interested yes. in figuring out. Like when I go through a website now, I go, well, that takes two clicks to get there. That's going to, the user's not going to love that. That's going to be more difficult. What would be more pleasant visually for the user in this experience online? And that's yeah. what I think we should, and I'm just in the beginning stages of trying to think through that. So tell me if you've been thinking through it more, but. You know, we wanna optimize the experience for the consumer of live music as much as possible. I really do believe that's the way to think. But I don't know I have, all the solutions for that, but I'm kicking some around.
1: I think that it's it's on a macro level and and like you're on it. The user experience can't be looked at through a lens of a thousand people at once, right? Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, you know, if local bands are opening the show and you have you haven't had any kind of conversation or curation as to what they're doing on Mm -hmm. stage in front of your crowd like they can get up there and completely like turn off everybody that's in there to see music and like like you said if they're up there they play over if they're just horrible human beings if they throw up on the front row (laughs) you know it's like all those people endure that stuff and that that compounds on fact on top of now my experience with seeing Emery. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. my like my yeah. story and memories of seeing Emery. Right. Instead of it just being this like, you know, long positive thing now, it's like I got to this point. And the lead singer of the band that opened was racist, and he threw up on my girlfriend. And <laughs> then I watched Emery. You know, I was in a bad mood, and we—it smelled like pu- like you don't want that, right?
0: I, I, we have only played, as far as I can tell, with one white power band, but that has happened. Before. <laughs> oh, we played with a, a no. band that was at least borderline white power and a skate park once, and it just I, it happened. So I don't know what to yeah. say, <laughs> but that stuff no, can I happen. Don't. But it's yeah, you want the person that has the experience. The worst thing. Second worst thing to Emory Sucks is this was bad, the sound was bad, I hated this, it was forever, I got super tired, but man, you guys were awesome. That is mm-hmm. not the experience I want you to have. And it, and mm-hmm. I have, we've let that go, and just, just because that's the way but, it goes forever, we've been, yeah. and I just keep, it just has hit me lately when I try to think about the people that support the podcast or the other stuff we do and how valuable, lifetime valuable Emory fans are, like. It's very valuable. Like we don't have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fans. We have thousands. We have. We probably have. I don't know. Tens of thousands of active fans and thousands of very active fans, and that's our whole career. And then there's hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands or even millions of people that know who we are or stream a song. But that's not. That doesn't amount to anything in my book. So, golly, I got to start focusing on the three to five thousand people who are are paying attention. If I will just serve them well and put think about them you know, think about the art first and their experience with it. Second, that's, that's, and then there's no formula beyond that, but I think that's the mindset.
1: It is. And you're on it. Like, I mean, serve is, is a good way of thinking about it. Cause like in this day and age, I think that there is, there is a, there is a way to frame this as if it's like, you know, being on stage, being in front of people isn't, it is, this isn't just what you get by being a band, like getting somebody's attention And those three thousand to five thousand to ten thousand, like really loyal Emory fans, you know, it's it's not about going down the the rabbit hole and making music just for them and making their experience, you know, one hundred percent bullseye for them. It's just really about like, thank you for choosing to consume this when there's a world full of other options out there that would scratch the same itch. Yeah. Right. And it's. I guess it's just identifying that. Cause that's that's the reality. It's kinda like if if cause I discovered Emery in a really cool way. I didn't know your band. I was living in Buffalo. I helped with a show. It was uh you guys and Anne Berlin and mm-hmm. it was one of the like just the tightest uh I'd never seen I've never seen a, a, a band like Anne Berlin and I'd never seen a band like Emery. But that night stuck with me because of the professionalism and just like the overall feeling in the room what room I mean, was that icon it was uh oh it's yeah, closed yeah, yeah yeah i love that room yeah and so that's like not i don't think upstairs. of that as super
0: professional in my my mind i think oh that's just a bar club that was cool and no 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 no. no. Small not, the,
1: not the not the bar not the club you Not guys, the buffalo the bands
0: yeah i know but i just mean like it was just rock band on stage like what was i don't know if it was high production i don't i don't remember i don't remember the show but professional is not what I think of when I think of Emory. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's, uh, that's <laughs>
1: the, that's the part of it that we don't get, we're not privy to, right? Yeah. Like if you went up and had the worst show of your life and somebody fell in love with your band that night, that's, mm-hmm. you know, the conversation of that was a crappy show. You shouldn't have loved us for that. Like that, yeah. you know, me going and seeing you guys and being, cause I'd seen, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rock bands. And I'm like, this was the night where professionalism on stage huh. and an empathy for the crowd who's here enduring this with us. And, sharing this experience went up. I'm glad to hear
0: that, but I'm surprised we stumbled our way into giving you that impression.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a, the other one that I reference a lot is, uh, is me without you. Mm -hmm. And I, I grew, I grew up listening to hip hop and like uh, occasionally metal. So like rock and roll was very new to me by the time that I came into it. And Mm -hmm. then that scene of touring bands and stuff and someone showed me me without you. And I was like, I just do not get this. I don't get it. I listened to it. I tried to love it. I didn't get it. And when I saw them live, it was like somebody took that last bit of blinder away from my eye and it clicked. Yeah, and I was absolutely. like, oh, this is one of my favorite bands now.
0: Yeah, now, now that I completely sense. identify with in the same way. I, I suppose I had similar experience. But yeah, when I saw Me Without You live, I was like, this is unambiguously... Exactly what it's supposed to be, and you can't. I mean, I, I suppose you could not like it, although I'd have a hard time imagining how you wouldn't like me without you live. But it's like, yeah, okay, this is this is undeniably what it is. Like you can see it fully. Like there's in a way that there's no way to just listen to their CD and think you understand me without you, if you don't, haven't seen them, because there's just so much rich information in their body language and conviction and those that's kinds it. of things. Yeah, that's true
1: it's uh and to to that point like i've seen and heard bands try to do kind of do what they do mm-hmm. there's not a lot of bands that that take that path but it it you can't replicate it no you can't that to me just says that's something very special if you're there to see it it will absolutely resonate with you on some level even if it doesn't end up being music that you like right you just
0: the words you can you say get, about it is, that, that's not
1: for me yeah yeah, you just that that band was the first time I'd ever seen one living, moving mm-hmm. organism on stage. What like, year was that? B- that band gets on stage, hits the switch, and it's like we're all in sync. Here we go. Yep, that's
0: right. It's a like mass hypnosis kind of thing that makes a good show. That's true. What, yeah. what what year was that? You saw me without you.
1: It had to have been like 2011. I guess it's probably the first mm. time I saw them live. Wow, and this was way into their career, right? Mm-hmm, like. Right? But yeah, it finally clicked. I saw it then. I was like, "What a fool I've been!" But you know, like, like you <laughs> oh, said, that's I didn't have that. To hear.
0: Yeah, that's I great. didn't have
1: that 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 whether it was that visual component or just actually being there, like going out to the show. I think we'd driven all the way to Kalamazoo, Michigan, to see the the show that night, just as a thing to do. But very glad we did.
0: That's great. I you know I think there's a lot of stuff that the innovation to be done, and I'm very encouraged. And the opportunity, I am certain of this, there is more opportunity than there has ever been. The opportunities are more. Yes, there's saturation. Yes, there's competition. But you can take care of those things by being badass yourself. All, but the opportunities yep. are what you want, and now you can go out compete people or whatever. And ultimately, this art stuff isn't going to be isn't that much about competition because it's more about allyship than it yeah. is competition anyway. Yep. But all you got to do is get – this is the this is dumb saying all you got to do. But all you got to do is <laughs> get out of your smaller pond into a bigger pond and learn to swim there and keep on, you know, whatever it is, there's no path to it, but you can with excellence get you, there's more opportunity than there's ever been. And 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 but the, the pathways are are eliminated. So the good news is everybody else is in the jungle too. So you b- get good with your machete
1: and you'll be all right
0: as well. Yeah, that's the
1: that. that's exactly it. Everybody's there doing the same thing with you. So the thing that we have now that we didn't have before i'd say pre-internet or pre like mostly pre-social media because it isn't even the internet it's just we have the visual feedback the Mm -hmm. information of seeing exactly what everybody else in this world that we operate in is doing and how they're doing it
2: and then
1: as a consumer we can just kind of like you can just ask the question it's like how did this feel did i like did i like this experience this my first experience with a b c whatever it is that i'm is in front of me and if it's like no okay well cool don't do your art that way don't don't uh communicate your art that way to people mm-hmm. and you're right like call it badass but i'd think it's more like personalized like you do you It's confidence and don't think thing, about it. like a knowing yeah, what you want
0: and then being you know but also not
1: targeting like oh what what's a success metric is it oh, yeah, is definitely. it ten thousand people every night is no, don't it, chase that we, exactly or I don't is think it, you should but it's it's fine if people want to think that but way but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything and I I don't personally think it means anything at all like uh, I, I don't know I, so like you said you get so much coming at you at all the time. It's like check out this band check out this music. That one person that you trust and love that sits you down that isn't regaling you with information all the time about, check this out, check that out. They're like, Matt, yeah. you gotta hear this. I know and love you, and I know what you respond to for real. Like, when you get the time, take this in. And mm-hmm. you do. And I mean, that's one person that's powerful. And when that happens to me, like me without you, I'm gonna shout their name from the yeah. building the, tops. The goal is to inspire that.
0: Yeah, yeah, not just but digitally manipulate somebody down your funnel or whatever that that is.
1: But you know what's really tough, and we experience this is, and you know, where's that where's that conversation with about success on success with bands where it's like, well, I want to play a show, and you've got to butter up to the promoter who books the club that you want to play, and you finally get booked, and they're like, well, cool, like you guys got to sell two hundred tickets, and it's mm. like, all right. And you hustle and you kill yourself and you just rub your friends raw with yeah. come to my show, come to my show. And then you you know, you know, sell 200 tickets and you have a banging show and it's kind of like we did it. But that's not like a – plat. there's not like a stepping stone because now it's like, well, now next time that you do you the do show at this club, yeah. you got to bring 200 people. And it's like I got to – I'm going to make people hate me to do that. So it, it's – that's part of the conversation that doesn't happen is yeah. like – I don't know. Well, there's this whole
0: thing now about marketing that, like, okay, of course, I don't like multi-level marketing. I don't ever talk about it, but of course, it's not something I like. Um, When you get into those, you know, pyramid scheme, fine. Multi-level marketing, okay whatever. And then, really, there's these other things that you're talking about, even just as far as marketing brands, where it's not coming from some big corporate interest, but there's a little bit something crappy when there's a person you know that you follow on Twitter, and then they start doing some new idea, side hustle business, and their social media and their personal life becomes that. And it's kind of a, it just feels like a, like a little bit of a parasite even you know it is parasitic when it's a pyramid scheme you know what I mean yeah. where you're cannibalizing your own social network for somebody else's profits that's disgusting multi-level marketing's in the middle on some of that and then it, people do it to their own selves though like they say oh I'm a, they choose to become a persona and then their freaking real digital life is all asking for stuff and trying to self-promote to their very yep. small network of friends. I I'm always sad when I see that, basically. And I think that's what you're hitting on there. Like, I feel like this can't be the, right, the best way to do that.
1: But, the, yeah, it's this goes back to where we started. It's like, where's the handbook for this? We got yeah. social media for the first time ever, and it's yeah, as powerful exactly. as it has ever been. And there's no rule book. It's just kind of like, you know, it, it's we're releasing a record, so I'm talking about this as things happen when things happen some really cool things are happening right now and I'm um, you know I don't get this six months from now it's right now I feel like I'm fatiguing mm-hmm. the most important people in my life because it's it is what is happening in my life right now so I literally don't have anything else to talk about because I'm consumed right. with this process. But you can do but it authentically, at the same time,
0: you know, versus marketing. I, know, I, I mean, try. People do want to know what you're up to. Your friends do, do. are I, interested, but that's different I, than what you want from them calculated into why you're posting it and that yeah, being obvious. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. You're right. And that's like, I had never thought of it that way particularly. I like obviously think about, it's like, well, you're just not privy to how much you're alienating your friends and family by mm-hmm. just only being this one thing all the time. But you hit the nail on the head where it's like you're alienating your friends and your family one hundred percent of the time, but for someone else's profit. Yeah. Where I'm like, well that's a whole that's another level of, that's of really, just yeah, yeah. acidic, bad, yeah. toxic, Absolutely like right. And right, it just probably burns bridges that you can't But can people never build do want to know what
0: you're up to. Like, I'm a bad social media poster, but I'm so phobic of sounding like a self promoter or whatever. And I, I don't know, people say, Oh, really? Mr. Talks on a million podcasts about himself all the time. Yeah, I get it. I may be vain in some regards, but I'm a little paranoid on social media when it's. I, and so, there's lots of stuff that I know people would want to see. Like, I was tracking Emory in the studio the other, and I didn't post about it or take any pictures, hardly, or nothing. And I know people would have liked that, and even my dad would like that. Like, everybody would like that if I just showed them what I'm doing that's kind of cool or interesting. But that's for way sure. different than the, the real boastful, What you know, that the kind that's where it's like you're just trying to utilize and manipulate people and talk past your good friends with your platform. Blech. You know, it just gets gross. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm for, sure. for sure, for so, sure. And then so. there's that other level of, like, like you said in the studio, it's like this is actually a really engaging topic. This is all of this looks cool. It's very insightful. It's foundational elements of what we're building that you will, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm going to talk about later. You ever just talk yourself out of that stuff? It's like I should document this, and then now you're not present in yeah. the thing oh, right, because you're right. thinking about exactly
0: that's part of capturing it the yeah, thing. Th- that's the thing. I can't believe when I'm hanging out with people socially, and then I go, you know what I yeah this happens to me all the time I'll be somewhere socially and feel guilty that I'm gonna look at my phone just to check Twitter or something and when I do the people I'm with have been tweeting (laughs) and I didn't even know it's like how did you even fucking I was feeling bad about just checking my text messages and you tweeted 8 minutes ago and 12 minutes ago and tweeted something I said 15 minutes like how did you even go back and forth from being here and being in the digital I don't even like I'm bad at shifting gears you know like I was in the studio I didn't look at my phone I didn't even intend to turn it off but we were in the studio and i i didn't look at it like i forgot where it was i didn't think about it like i am not going back and forth from my phone do something deeply creative i'm locked in and socially i'm pretty much that way too if i'm engaged in a conversation i don't know i'm not i'm my head can't be anywhere else so that's the way i am but i get i get weird about it um i want to talk to a little bit more about your band though what are some things that you guys do differently like given the fact that you're coming up now and there's no roadmap what are a couple of things y'all are doing unique y'all are crowdfunding type band or how do you do that that
1: part no we're not we did we did a crowdfunding campaign for our last l p mm-hmm. for surface tension and I was very hesitant about it I didn't want to do it we needed to do it and I just feel like you get one chance to do that mm-hmm. and you know if you choose to do it, you can't go and ask those people six months later for the same thing I just People lifted us up when we needed it. I will take that to the grave as one of the most kind things that's ever happened to me in my life. I mm-hmm. just won't ever do it again. So this time around, I mean, it's it, it's not like an answer to anything where we do a pay what you want campaign for um, for that album. It doesn't go to us. It goes to every town in support of uh, solving gun violence. But it's, yeah, I mean, I just think that in the market, that's that's kind of where we are. We, right. we don't try to take anything.
0: That's interesting what you're saying there. So part of it I disagree with, but I'm also very interested in the part of how you're making it work and what the, the goal is or the heart behind uh, – I mean, I'll let me start with what I disagree with um, – which is that crowdfunding is a one-time thing. I f- did think that too. And I was just talking on a podcast yesterday with for Bad Christian, it'll come out later, with Matt and Christy from The Vocal Few and Matt McDonald from Classic Crime. He's crowdfunded Classic Crime successfully over and over again, gotten more money and more support each time. And to me, it comes across like a very fair market value, just a good marketplace. And it's not, I need you, you have to do this for us or we'll die. It's not that, it's just a way to keep everybody participating. That is d- not necessarily the case with a newer or younger or less known band, sometimes it is getting your aunts and uncles to come to the show. So I do, there's a slight difference there. And even their project, um, Vocal Few, they crowdfund multiple times successfully. And it's quaint and it's small and it's appropriate, I feel like. And for instance, me and Toby did the Matt and Toby record recently. And we decided not to crowdfund because we, because it feels, I feel self conscious, like, oh, surely you can't just keep crowdfunding stuff. So we did that record with no crowdfunding. And, uh, you know, it's a big money loss thus far. <laughs> like we sure. could have crowdfunded it, it would have funded itself. And I think people would have enjoyed that. And I don't think it would have been obnoxious. And I do think that it would have been closer to a break-even or profitable situation. And it's not that far under, and I hope to rectify that. But looking back on it, I even wish we had, had a modest crowdfund for that.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That isn't what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is for all the success stories where people have figured out how to maybe do it um, over and over again or do it like patreon or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is I don't I don't have a language or a a uh, dialogue in my head that would rectify it mm-hmm. I I would still you know call it self-conscious I just to me it's I just feel guilty because it's like I'm gonna make the art anyway and if part of the art becomes me having to figure out how to ask people to help me I that's that's the way I look at it and yeah. I know that's not necessarily how it is that's where my brain goes first
0: well tell me about how you're able what you're able to do you did your crowdfund you people lifted you up you've got it you have a fan base you've got a good facebook page now you're doing explain the the give the pay what you want giveaway thing and the charity and how that what
1: what you intend there spend some more time on that um we i guess it's just selling records isn't part of our isn't part of what we do um Uh Nobody's marketing this band for us. No one's selling this band. No one's making money from this band. We don't make money from this band. It's it's a absolute one hundred percent loss monetarily all the time. Do you want it but to I'm, be
0: that way? Or would you continue that if it were bigger? You know, like the, that
1: idea. I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, I'm I'm in my thirties. Like I don't. Th- this is if this was something that was gonna be like a make or break kind of thing where it's like I need to make money and sustain, or you know, music isn't for me. Like. Music's for me because I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to find out ways to, you know, position myself. Like moving to Chicago mm-hmm. was a, a step in the right direction as far as like being able to continue to make art. Living in New York is very, like it's demanding and it pulls your attention in a million different ways. That's just one person. You have a whole band there. It's like, how do you, you know, it? how do you do it? It's very hard. It's why the most, the baddest bands in the world start a band in New York City you hear about it go to one show you come back a week later it's like oh we broke up
2: we started four <laughs> other projects
1: since last week where you been you know that's funny but I mean as as far as like what you say about like uh, how do we do it I mean we work we just work and this isn't like a hobby I mean music's full time it's a full time thing all of the stuff that we do all the stuff that's seen takes an awful lot of time but how do you I mean, fund just, it
0: though I just am like how do you pay for your studio time I mean you, you know is it out ad- of I mean and your take and pay what you want but you're giving that money away so i'm still lost on the the model even if it is a charity model how's it work
1: i just work full time to support art i'm a, so you, I'm a co-
0: you spend pocket money and still give away the pay what you want money yeah you don't even you wouldn't even take the pay what you want money to cover costs and then give the rest away it's not that
1: there's no covering costs it's not it's never going to be like that and i mean honestly like it's fine, but I'm not in the business of selling records. I don't want to be. That's what record labels are for. If they still want to exist, cool. I'm a pretty safe bet. I'm gonna pay for everything. You can sell the record, and make money, and help me make the next one. That's cool. I mean, fine. you're selling the vinyl and stuff, like obviously. I, but I, I'm not. John is <laughs> Spartan selling the record, selling the vinyl. That's not. That isn't part of where we're at. It's like you know, that's that's a to me a contemporary partnership. We mm-hmm. produce and create this commercial grade recording, right? Uh-huh. Not necessarily the, the baddest thing in the world. I'm just like, as far as like a saleable thing, here's something that I think, you know, people could enjoy listening to. It's been thought through. There's no shortcuts taken. And it's like, all right, cool. Let's put this to wax and, you know, divide and conquer. And we want that too, because we'd love, you know, I want to get and buy some copies of vinyl to have on the merch table. So when we tour around, there's a visual component. There's a physical component that's there to take away and it deepens the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's the, I think the rub is where it is. To me, it's always been like touring has been the part that, that, that solves a lot of that stuff. You go into debt, you make the records, you do the, you press all the merch, you, uh, you know, you do a little advertising and you go on tour and touring builds up this uh, repository to help pay for some of that stuff. But that landscape's very different
0: now. You plan on it being a money loss. That's a, that's, it's very comforting to hear you say that, and I hope that message is digested by other people. It makes me want to rephrase it and say it this way. Would it be worth it to do your art if you knew that it it didn't make money, it was going to cost you money, and it would never make money? And if the answer to that is no, then this, then this is not worth doing then.
2: Yeah. Right? I mean, is no that was, how you no say? Was, well,
0: then, well, if if it was contingent on whether or not it ever was made money, then that then it's not. You know, it, would it be worth doing for its own sake? Yes or no? Really is the question. I mean, it's not wrong to make money or nothing, of course. But uh, the way you've chosen to do it is at least to separate m- your mentality that that part of the goal. You know,
1: it's twofold. It. I mean, no kid at 11 years old or whatever when he starts the garage band and discovers tube amps or discovers drums. Mm-hmm no kids smashing on those instruments like pointing at their idols going like i can't wait to make money right like that's not part but of the but they are thinking the sometimes discovery. i can't
0: wait to be worshipped by fans that is sure. definitely one of the one of the more that one i understand the allure of that and it is cool and i don't think it's bad but i still that you know that one's in between money like that one is a big motivator for people like i want to be on a stage well, well i mean in performing inherently vain you know in that regard or no
1: yeah, it. I think it is to an extent. I think it is to a, a maximal extent. I mean, any aspect of putting yourself in a display mm-hmm. is vain. Yeah, it 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 signifies a lot of things that aren't being necessarily um, said. It's just like a. It's I have something to say. B. You need to hear it.
0: Yeah, that's inherently already got problems from. Yeah, it's got a ton. It's got
1: a ton of problems, and I mean, so I I do my best to remove myself from that. Like us playing live has nothing to do with fans, and like it it really doesn't. Like I love the conversations I can have with people where we connect, like other bands or Mm -hmm. you know people that we play with. Interesting. But the truth is, we we are we like to play live. We just like to play live. It has nothing to do with the people. It has to do with just hitting your instruments and like, yeah. you know, humanizing the music. Yeah. And without that, it's, uh, I'd have to rethink kind of the whole mindset of things. Mm-hmm. Like what is the, where's the end of this line when I write this song? For yeah. me, it's always been playing it live, right?
0: Yes. And yes, the,
1: and, yeah, and the it. landscape changes, but I mean, that that's always been a beacon that I've been able to maintain because I, I know what it feels like to play rock music. Live mm-hmm. and the way that it makes me feel, it's and just... that's the
0: ultimate form. And your are th- like some people think of the record as the ultimate form, and I think I've largely been in that category for most of my life. But I don't actually prefer that. Like going forward, what I wish is my musical performances would be more improvisational and more live geared than production geared. You know, basically. Um, but I, but I do really like the art form. Thinking of a record as being. I've always kind of thought of composing and arranging the record as primary and live performance supporting, but I've kind of moved on that more to where I'd like to enjoy the rest of my life performing music and having it be live, organic, a little more improvisation, a little more human, more vulnerable. Is Now that I feel a little more competent as a musician, to be honest, is what I'd like to do for the rest of my musical career. I'd like to vulnerable. go that direction, but yeah, but, uh, you know, we'll see.
1: I love that word. And I mean, that's actually a conversation I've had a lot with the closest people to me is about vulnerability. Because the record, right, is, uh, that's the, that is the like, that's the goal line. That's when you get to the point where you're like, this is exactly the way that we wanted to do it, give or take a couple degrees of satisfaction. But it's like, this is the idea. Mm -hmm. This is the culmination of the idea. Social media is often the channel that people get introduced to that idea, right? Yeah, and you you curate that message, the imagery, the you craft it and design it in a way that is very you. It's not candid, right? It isn't like it, it isn't candid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just that's that could be the way to do it, but that would be a it, a design on its own. Yeah, so it's starting to strike
0: well, me f- worse and worse over time that the, the 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 I don't know the pr- overproduction is just. I don't know if it's a, fa- a pendulum swing away from it or if I'll just never be into that stuff again. I don't know.
1: It just needs to be related, right? Like yeah. it can't be, you've got this punk rock garage yeah. record and then you've got this like high fashion aesthetic that's, you know, perpetuating it. There's gotta be a thread that like connects the two things. Exactly, and I think, yeah. I think that's just another lens to kind of be aware of. But, uh, I lost it. No, 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 no I, problem.
0: I, we got some more time here, and I wanted to talk about your thoughts on nostalgia. You mentioned that before, and I've definitely been thinking a, a good amount of that for a long time. And and man, I get confused about it. Um, but there's there's more than one school of thought on what nostalgia is and how it interacts with what we do. But I was curious your thoughts on it. it sounds like you have some.
1: I do. Nostalgia is is probably the most powerful human feeling. The and most powerful that human. We, that's a big claim. Yeah, well, think about it, man. The most important things in your life don't exist in the future. All the moments that make you you, the the things that you love and the Mm -hmm. people that you love are reminded not by the present, but by the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's absolutely true. You don't get to appreciate somebody that you've spent time experiencing life with or a, a moment in your life that was monumental because it was right now. Like you so by nostalgia
0: in that regard, you would say all the time I've spent with my four-year-old daughter is a form of nostalgia, and it's all that I actually – everything I know about my wife and kids is contained in nostalgia, though. Sure, the broadest it's your view re-
1: recollection okay. of, the, of an experience in your life. And all the while, you're building nostalgia for your four-year-old daughter and
0: with your wife. Oh, that's true, because you're creating what will be their memories, you know, the whole time. Sure.
1: And my re- – like, I think the, the thing that I zoom in on is like, you know, think about – I use this example cuz it just kind of like it 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 paints the picture as a metaphor. It's like Christmas morning as a four-year-old coming down the stairs, coming around the corner and like the trees lit up and you know it's warm and the family and the opening the gifts and like the wonder and the excitement mm-hmm. and the enthusiasm and the anticipation of all that, right? Yeah. becomes a thing that as it's happening we don't know that that's going to be a nostalgic element, a memory that we we tie to ourselves and make sense of the world with. And now when you think about Christmas as an adult, there's that is stapled in your brain somewhere. Mm-hmm. If that was your experience. Yeah. But nostalgia isn't something that I think can be recreated. So, you know, to try and chase that same event over and over and over again, it's the, you know what to expect, which, you know, kind of gets rid of the, the part of it that makes it memorable. Right.
0: Yeah, well, there's some weird stuff about about it, and it's—I mean, I guess you kind of had to define it, but. You know, like nostalgia, the term originally, it was like a disease. Like it was being caught in the past. Like I think that's where the term comes from, like being, caught, awesome. like being caught in the past. And it had to do – it's like close to a mental disorder. Like they thought it was – I mean, way, all the way back when they thought it caused fevers and it was just like, you know, whatever. But there is a real high correlation to, of people that like and live in a lot of nostalgia with anxiety and depression. There's some real – you know, it's, it, you know. Yes. Yeah. It seems like such a positive thing. There's so many cultural things on it. Like, it, it's just got to have a healthy and unhealthy side. Is the only way because the unhealthy side seems so gross to me, where you're just yep. living in the past. That's just so obviously has to be detrimental. It just has to be.
1: But there's the that side of it is where I think is where it resonates, right? So, like, say you found a say you found something that you might've thought was cool. You can't make sense of it. You don't know how to make sense of it because maybe you found it. it's like a band or a song that you wrote or an event that you witnessed. You have to make sense of that on your own. The uh-huh. cool thing about nostalgia is this is a time stapled in the past that likely thousands of other people within proximity of that experience uh-huh. also get. So we'll like take things like stranger things, mm-hmm. right? All nostalgia. It's, all driven by nostalgia for 80s and 90s kids uh-huh. grew up with that stuff so every little detail in that stuff we're experiencing in the present by you know calling up the past right uh-huh but my worry is what then becomes the 20 year nostalgic mark for that That's what great. I'm saying
0: This is a time of nostalgia That's never really existed before And it really is bizarre So And it, you know connected back to what we're talking about Musically obviously It's like Alright So we had all the indie bands Of the 2000s In the golden time of touring It was great now we've got the 10-year, the anniversaries of whatever record, and then we'll have the 20, and then we'll have the 20-year of the 10-year, and that'll be that, and then it won't be anything new, and we'll just keep doing this, and l- luckily, if you were in the nostalgia circuit, good. You have you can make your living at casinos and whatever's going to be, old folks' homes, and you'll die playing walls. Uh, great. <laughs> you know, I, th- that's weird. That's a weird thought, but... You know, it's there's not some, a
1: weird thought. I mean, it, it's not a it's great exactly, thought. It's not
0: a po- super positive thought to me.
1: No, it's not positive. But I mean, you, what sounds like bad what, to me. You're you are aware of exactly what is going on, and I think the reason that like developing artists isn't a thing right now. Because, yeah, that's
0: what I'm saying. Is it hurting people finding new music? Because I'll just listen to whatever again. Totally, totally. That's and negative. the thing,
1: the other side of the coin is now. It's like, I know that I love going to see live shows. I had a great experience, say, in the early 2000s with all my friends, seeing all of these bands that resonated with me through my formative years and recalling all these experiences. Well, they're touring at their 10-year anniversary of the record that basically changed my life. we got to go and see this. Chasing a feeling, yeah, maybe, that's, yeah. to you know call up a feeling of something that happened 10 years ago. And I just, I, I have a hard time swallowing that Ten years from then, the the point at which we went and saw the band's ten year anniversary right. is going to be like powerful enough for us to relive yeah. again. Well, I don't know.
0: There's a few more things going on here still that you you have to take into account. First of all, your memories aren't good. They're like your you know, nostalgia, rosy, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's way rosy, way, way, way rosier than you think. Like yeah. you are, have really. Uh, filed away a bunch of things in your mind that are not the way that they were. Not, just mm-hmm. so much. So, like, it it weirds me out. Like, with the t- town we went to college in and other towns, sometimes the, it's like you think, like, I remember talking about how crappy it was. I, it, all we did was talk about how crappy this town is or whatever, or how the factory stinks. And then now it's like, oh, and I went back and I got off the plane and I smelled the Selenese factory and I was like, ah. Like, you hated Dude, that smell the whole time you were there.
1: I know, but it calls up, it calls up. Many years of of experience that yeah. if you want to think about you get to th- you just like all right do I want to recall all this stuff but man I mean for real like I, I smell a bonfire and my entire childhood lights up yeah for real like in a in a mm-hmm. fraction of a second it's like that's not what I want well you're to be thinking about a right recollection
0: now. of your childhood but not the actual way it felt to be the child back then right. It's not what you're right. recalling you're not totally you're not you know time traveling back and having those experiences again at all you're, you're self, is, there's a self-serving component to it where you're feeling validated and secure in the world to know that you had a past and had moved on and you learned this I mean there's so much stuff tied it's very rich experience of nostalgia that's not just recollection and if, even if the recollections aren't very valid a lot of times True. but there can be some neat stuff in there like there's stuff I chase from nostalgia, but living in it seems so bad. Like I, I could tell, you, I saw a concert one time, and it was this. Uh, it was Solid State Music Festival, and the best band at it was self-minded. And there's Swedish band, and I didn't know who they were. And my recollection of what that made me feel like, and what they were doing on stage, I had not heard the music and not seen it. It is powerful. I, I doubt that what I'm remembering it was near as good as I remember how heavy that felt. And this, and I was catching the music like what was working about the music on stage and all that. And I recall that all the time when I'm trying to generate new ideas. And so mm-hmm. even if it was a false memory, I don't care. I'm just chasing whatever that made me feel like. And that's pertinent toward the future to me. So I find that to be what I would consider a good use of nostalgia. And, of sure. course, I want to create for my kids a rosy Christmas. But I don't want to go back and watch tapes of me in the 80s. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And some people they, do.
0: I don't like that that mental you know, that version of
1: it though. I guess I'm like I'm just hypersensitive to the feeling of it. Like we have a house here in Chicago. There's nothing on the walls. It's just white walls. I don't mm-hmm. hang anything up. It's not necessarily intentional. It's just like there's a point in that my brain goes to where like the things that I'd hang up represent a time in my life, a past experience or whatever. And you know, like the bonfire, right? Like maybe that's not what I want to be feeling right now and mm-hmm. maybe you know what I'm saying like maybe I want to be creating new experiences I don't know what it is but
0: so I mean you know when it, it what is the thing that you think is to be a, avoided or embraced then as it were pertain to, to music going forward because you know nostalgia's never been possible before which is why people are so confused yeah. like should yeah. I just like old bands or whatever and we know that it's triggered at a certain time like even back in the whatever time I mean the guy wearing a scorpion shirt surfing through the CD store. You know, he, he still likes what he liked when he was 19, of course. And so will you, at... and
1: so will I. Out the window from where I'm sitting right now talking to you is a probably 150-foot tall, colorful painting of B.B. King playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, just think about that. Like, B.B. Yeah. King playing the guitar, I say that, and yeah. all these oh, memories yeah. come up, Oh yeah, right? I don't think there's a guy. A guideline for it i think it's just that we as as hyper consuming as we are with things and mm-hmm. how rampantly available new information new songs new media new art new news stories new everything new possibilities to be exposed to newness right yeah for lack of a yep. better friggin' word is just like anything like you just have to be wary of over consuming whatever it is and yeah If we're dipping back into nostalgia, I think that there is a limit to it, that we're going to be able to celebrate that feeling, chasing that feeling, right?
0: I have a fear based in the nostalgia thing, though, that we're being uh, exploited or exploiting ourselves or being manipulated in the same way that we are being manipulated by outrage. So they're two different things, but they're just human traps that can be exploited, and we've just figured out how to exploit those two human cognitive weaknesses is kind of the category i have outrage and nostalgia in a similar category so uh i think we're sitting ducks if the marketing dollars and the data want to put put, push us in a direction we're at i'm I'm afraid we may be at their whim is my fear
1: no you're you're 100 right but that's the i mean that's that's the part that didn't happen with music right like it happened with tv and movies they're, look at how successful the Marvel series mm-hmm. are, right? And look at how successful Stranger Things is. Or I just watched uh, Lost in Space. It's an old story they recreated and put to Netflix, yep, yep. and I'm like, it. It isn't. I mean, you know, the arc of a story is is what it is. Like we want to we want to be pulled through, develop the story. We want the you know the peak of it and the payoff. It's music is a lot of the same way. It's just it seems like the music industry didn't get that kind of like hyper competitive in how we serve music to people the way that like tv did and the way that like netflix did and they're you know creating content yeah
0: the main things in music that exist now are not that insidious of course i don't think but it's no. you know it's 10 year reunion reunion stuff motley Crue at the casino whatever and it's probably also throwback genres oh they sound like the 70s now like Fleet Foxes, you know, everybody's, you know, the shins, or not the shins, the vines doing like the lo-fi, Jack White. So like you get these, those pockets of, oh, we sure. can get into some microculture and re, redo it instead of create something, a new sound, you know, that, 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 I think that's sometimes a waste of creativity.
1: For sure. I, yeah, it's a, it, this time that we're in, there is no right way to do it. Nope. There is no, there's no right path to take. I mean, there's only, I feel like as human beings, we will consume, something we you know we have this innate need to keep ourselves stimulated and stimulated with newness but a newness that we can tangibly attach to something that we've experienced something that means it's meaningful mm-hmm. right so Th- that's it's it. just that it's like if if everybody our age is just you know deaf in the ears of being shown new music how are we going to find new music yeah we're just going to chase after our, our favorite records from the past over and over and over again and I'm like that doesn't sound like a very bright future.
0: No, I mean, no, but I'm optimistic. I mean, I, and I hope you are, but I, talking to you and, th- and finding people that are trying new things or doing things differently or just trying to shift philosophical ways of viewing things is at least makes me even more optimistic. So thank you for your views and conversation and de- desire to, you know, explore them with me. I've enjoyed this conversation
1: very much, Dave. It's been awesome, Matt. I very much appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, man.
0: Not that you're going to make any money from it, but I do think people should check out your music for its own sake and check out the vinyl and Spartan records and, of course, that kind of stuff. What do you tell people if people are asking what you, what you do want them to do? Do you just want them to just go to Spotify and enjoy your music? Is that the simplest thing? And then
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever format that you like to consume music, you know, love it if you spend some time with ours. That,
0: that's great. That's very, very humble and a very reasonable ass. So, Dave, thank you. Hidden Hospitals, cool band. Check them out. Thanks a lot, Matt.
1: Hi, I'm Emma.
2: And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, Professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds.
1: Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe.